The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. The theory of multidimensional reality is a unified field theory that scientists have been trying to find and develop for the past 100 years. Are we living in a matrix, in a digital reality? If your government knew that an extinction-level event was approaching, would they tell you? Are the Georgia Guidestones, COVID-19, health passports, Agenda 2030, microchipping, AI, etc., pieces of a more sinister agenda to intentionally depopulate Earth, exercise better control, and serve a few who might be left behind? If you want to know, stay with me. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Douglas Vogt is the author of many books, including God's Day of Judgment, The Real Cause of Global Warming, The Theory of a Multidimensional Reality, Creation of the Hebrew Alphabet, and many others. You can find him at dieholdfoundation.com and on his YouTube channel, the Diehold Foundation. Douglas joins us directly from Jacksonville, Florida. Hello, Douglas, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, how's Arizona? Very cold, snowing in the last couple of days, but now finally the clouds have cracked and we have some sun coming out, which is very untraditional for this part of the world. Well, it's 77 degrees out now <laughs> here in Florida. So, but we have clouds. I think it came, the, the stuff came from the Gulf of Mexico. Excellent. Well, Doug, you have been very, very recommended by some of our listeners. And you and I have been talking for the past couple of weeks, and I'm fascinated by what you were about to tell us tonight. The poll reversal, the Nova, and all the things that you have learned. Why don't we begin, first of all, because I didn't read a bio. I wanted you to tell us, who is Douglas B. Vogt? Uh, it's pretty simple. Um, I'm 73. I'm a class of 65, and uh, my first major was in geology. Um, played the violin for nine years, though, and uh, I think that connected my right and left brain. So I think kind of three-dimensionally. Uh, I uh, will switch over and because the oil industry wasn't paying uh, hiring any geologists, so I switched over to accounting. So I was an accountant for a number of years, but when I graduated college in in June of 70, I uh, continued studying uh, what I really love, which is the earth sciences. And the first book I did was called Reality Revealed, The Theory of Multidimensional Reality. 
it's a mouthful and it's about a 450 page book, but that's where I present the first ideas of a uh, information theory of existence. The reason why I uh, leapfrogged almost everybody else in some of these fields is because of this information theory of existence. What we are taught in school is a matter-oriented theory of existence. Most of you, if not all of you, do not know where we got this from and why. But the reason is Aristotle. And none of you know who really Aristotle was, or if there was an Aristotle. But there actually was eight authors to Aristotle, to works of Aristotle. The only one who mentions an Aristotle, who is a Greek author, not a Roman writing in Greek, only mentions him in half of a sentence as an admiral in Alexander the Great's navy. That's it. Uh, and after that, um, if you see video series 12, part one, it explains the whole thing. The entire chain of custody of the, of the works of Aristotle It was a library that came, contained his works besides others. And it went to Rome via General Lucullius, and then Cicero started writing some of it, and then the Calpurnius Pisos after them took it over. There's a reason why, and that's in part two. But that's the reason why we have this matter theory of existence. There was another theory of existence out there, very much of a Jewish idea. It shows up in Plato in his cave analogy. But there was two ways of looking at the universe. Uh, unfortunately, uh, all of our great scientists, including all of us too, us laymen, we were taught this matter theory of existence. We look at everything as being the result of matter, even what light is. And, and that's the problem. That's why they could never figure out what causes the ice age and geomagnetic reversals. It's because you can't find an explanation that explains all the phenomena that go on during this thing. Uh, you cannot find it within the creation, you know, as in our reality. You have to realize it is a clock cycle that runs through time. I first knew of the clock cycle, but I didn't know the exact number of years when I first wrote the first book. There was enough things in the mythologies and also in the, the geology journals that there was repeated reversals in ice ages and they did at that time we didn't know how many exactly how many years we knew it was about 12,000 years in 1989 I, I I found an article by an astronomer called Bach and it's called Bach globulars and it was like 450 of these basically a big dust shell around a star or a group of stars and about from 11,000 about 14,000 light years from the earth that's an estimate and it was all around the Earth. I said, wait a minute. Maybe when a star novas, it throws off a, its dust shell, its matter shell, and we don't see it for a while, for maybe a, even a thousand years. So I'm, I went to the University of Washington Library, and there was a, some very good books. Uh, it was astronomy uh, library, um, math uh, and engineering library. And um, Sky and Telescope 2000 survey had a great database, and I basically wrote down the database of all known stars, open clusters, and globular clusters in our galaxy. And lo and behold, I found six blank periods in space. Four of the six were actually 12,068 light years apart. That's the clock cycle. When I found that, 
I basically had destroyed this matter theory of existence. I had proven there was a clock cycle that runs through time. You cannot have a clock cycle unless the universe is the product of a synchronous system. Got it. The next thing that proves that the universe is the product of information is a simple experiment. You can do it with less than $100 worth of electronic parts, and it's called the, the phantom leaf effect in Carillion photography. The critics immediately wind up saying, well, the leaf must have been on the plate beforehand, therefore you have that residue. But that wasn't the case. I actually knew Thelma Morse from UCLA and when I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and she did a lot of experiments there. And it's a genuine thing. It only shows it for the first few seconds after you cut the tip of the leaf off and you photograph it in, in a dark room between two plates, a canode or an athrode. You, you, you pass a high-voltage, high-frequency through the plates, and if you hit the right frequency, you actually see the missing part of the leaf that you cut off, and that's the phantom. The only way that phantom could exist is that what we call the conscious part of the, the leaf, conscious in quotes, uh, to show up as bubbles of light is if the information is being still being transmitted to those coordinates in time and space. Hence, you've got another dimension. You have information that makes up living things and matter coming from another dimension and is created this way. Those two simple experiments or dis discovery and experiment prove that the universe is the product of information. After that, I found more. When I did uh, my 2007 book, God's Day of Judgment, The Real Cause of Global Warming, in chapter eight has over 400 references from the journal Science, Nature, Geology, and a bunch of others. And it clearly shows a 12,068 year or a 12,000 year cycle. Now, the reason why a ice age happens immediately after a reversal is because what happens at the reversal is the part that's scary. Uh, and in the video series four on YouTube, on, you, you search for Diehold Foundation, that's D-I-E-H-O-L-D Foundation. You'll actually uh, see all the videos. There's about like 50 some odd videos out there now. But in series four is all the proof you need. It's some of the stuff that's in the book. Obviously, you can't put all the information that's in the book on a, on a half hour to an hour video. But it's all there with all the references, too. And what I found is what happens is during the time of the clock cycle, this 12,068-year cycle, our sun novus, the earth stops its rotation for about seven to eight hours, and then it goes and rotates in the opposite direction. We don't know how much it slows down before the event. We don't know if it's a few weeks or days or hours. It's probably days to weeks. Some of the mythologies in the American Indian and in other parts of the world talk about it and that the earth slow down or the sun slowed down and they have various mythologies about it legends but it slows down then it goes in the opposite direction and that's the key part during that time uh guess what happens to the oceans well just go in your backyard or if you go shopping get your shopping cart bring a a pie pan with you a rectangular pie pan fill the pie put the pie pan on the bottom of the shopping cart Fill the uh, the car the uh, thing with water the the pan with water, 
and slowly increase your speed with the uh, shopping cart to about two miles an hour and then stop short. And you'll see what happens. <laughs> the water goes away from you and then it sloshes back. Whatever's left hasn't, hasn't fallen out. So that's the origin of the great flood mythologies and legends throughout the world. That's what happens. There's a scientific reason why it happens, and it's described in series four why it happens. Anyway, uh, that, that's some of the hard thing. Now, what causes the ice age? It's chemistry 101. In Seattle, we had an ice field that was like 4,000 feet thick. That's their estimate. So I had to figure out, okay, how much snow can create an ice field 4,000 feet thick? Because there's nothing written about it. You have to figure it out yourself. So I uh, went to the chemistry books, and all they had was how many calories of heat it takes to evaporate one uh, cubic centimeter of, of distilled water. When you got ocean water, it's a lot more. So you've got a simple formula. If you have an ice field that's 4,000 feet thick, it represents snow. How do you get snow? You have to have clouds. How do you get clouds? You have to have water vapor. How do you get water vapor? You have to have a lot of heat on the surface of the oceans to evaporate a hell of a lot of water to make the water vapor. It eventually comes down in the form of snow. The ratio comes out to about 4.86 to 1. And there's, there's a big variation. I was surprised the variation of the weight of snow and also the weight of glacial ice. So it depends on if the snow is dry and cold or it's wet snow. Depends on how much the damn thing weighs. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so it meant that Seattle had a, a snowfall of about 19,400 feet of snow to make an ice field that's 4,000 feet thick. You got the picture? I do. Not a pretty picture. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's the problem. That's what happened. That's irrefutable. That's how you wind up getting an ice age. So if you see evidence of an ice age, like carbon-14 dating uh, drumlins and, and the stuff that glaciers leave behind, moraine, and carbon-14 dated, that means that's when you had your reversal. And that's how I dated a lot of the stuff. But how, how, do, how do you – Volcanoes. I don't mean to interject, but how do you know exactly the time? Is it because you used ice core samples to do it or some, some other way? Ice course Campbell's only came later. Uh, no, it was it was basically once you know the model. Let me give you an example, so everybody will understand what's going on here. Philosophy is the main thing. You have to start with that first. A philosophy. Let's say you have a ten thousand piece puzzle. Now, if you don't have the picture, what this thing looks like when it's all done with, you pick up a piece. And you don't know where the hell it goes, do you? It's only after you have a picture that you pick up the piece and say, okay, this goes in the lower right or this goes the upper left or in the middle. And you match up the color and the, pa and the pattern of the picture and then you know where it is. The final picture is, a is the philosophy. The philosophy has to come first. So when I saw the dating of the glacial till, the organic material like logs and stuff like that, corals, all kinds of stuff, seashells that were found all over the world in various level, levels, then I knew what, what had happened. It was obvious then. That's the Ice Age. That combined with 
when you have a mass extinction, the same immediately after you have a geomagnetic reversal. The reversals are figured out by the remnant magnetization in the soils. Some clays have a high iron content. Lava sometimes does, depends on where it is. So you know then what what it, it what happens so with, with volcanoes sometimes they've had logs found underneath the the um the, the igneous rock the, the rock that came from the lava the lava and they can date that in carbon 14 data and many times i think about four instances they were able to date it and they fell within the standard deviation of the carbon 14 dating so i had more than one way to know it besides the legends and myths uh, of Zoroastrians and Greeks and stuff like that, and the Egyptians, they all focused around 12,000 years. Well, they were right. Um, and, and that's that's how I how I knew I had it. But I, I had to get a lot of carbon-14 data and lead a lot of journals, uh, geology journals and stuff like that, to know, uh, to have the hard evidence. So, I mean, are you saying that that's the, how you do it. the last great flood or Noah's Ark happened about 10,000 BC? That would be about 12,000 years ago. Right. Yeah. So, so it coincides to what you're saying. Have you heard? I just, out of curiosity, when you said, you said something very interesting that caught my attention when you said that perhaps some living beings come from another dimension. Are you familiar with the work of a very, this, this happened 180 years ago? The work of Andrew Cross and the Akari insects. No, uh, I think you should. You better understand when I when I say dimensions, I had to redefine dimensions. The way physics defines it now is length, width, depth, and time as the fourth dimension. I don't. The third dimension is the first layer of matter when matter comes into this dimension. The And it goes on from there. We are basically a fourth dimensional existence where we need our physical body to move things, touch things, eat and stuff like that. We can't read minds. At least most of it can't. And uh, so we're a fourth dimension. You have a, uh, an information that we, we, you would say is your soul, but it's, it's an information that's strapped onto a carrier wave being transmitted to the same coordinates that make up your physical body, the atoms that make up your body. Then you have a fifth dimensional being who is something beyond an Uri Geller, where you can actually move an object just with your mind. I separate dimensions by how much potential and information that entity can wind up controlling and manipulating and using. It's different. Where time is not a separate dimension because it's common among all the dimensions. It's more like the rate at which this die hold transmits the information for all the dimensions. So it's not really a dimension. It's really a function of creation. I guess that's that's where I was going. Just just to let people know in case they wonder, what did you say, Mel, about the Akari insects? Well, this individual was doing some experiments with the electricity back in the 19th century. And what he found by doing that, all of a sudden, inside of a dome of glass, these insects materialized time and time again, and they were not there before. How did that happen? I don't know. But anyway, it's just that, that was a quick parenthesis. I don't mean to deviate from what you're saying. That's interesting. I'd like to see the experiment. <laughs> what kind of insect showed up? The Akari insects. But I'll forward that to you after. 
Good. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.